I'm so glad you're here this morning, and we invite you to take a, a copy of God's Word, looking with us, the book of Romans, a uh, book of Galatians, I'm sorry, book of Galatians chapter 5, as we continue our series on principles lived by. I am so confused today because the first service we had a different time change when we had to do some things, then we had the service out there, and then the service that we plan on doing here is a different change. I don't know what time it is, I don't know what to do, so I'll be here for the next two hours. No, I don't <clears throat> We're looking at this series on principles to live by. These are principles I think every Christian should focus on. And if you do these principles, God is going to do an incredible work in your life. Today's, and they're all important. Please understand, everyone's important. Today, again, it's a very important one that a lot of Christians do not follow. They think they do, but they do not. Paul is writing to this church in Galatia. They're having a lot of issues, a lot of problems. They're they're trying to live the Christian life on their own strength, their own power, their own ability. And that's what Paul is going to address in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, beginning with verse 16. Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh set its desires against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissension, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, as we focus on your word today, we ask you to implant it into our hearts. That, Father, the principle that we learn today, this principle that is found throughout your word, that we will understand it. So that, Father, we can live a strong Christian life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Charles Spurgeon was probably the greatest English-speaking preacher in the world, in the history of the world. At the age of 18, he shook the world with his preaching. Well, he was asked the question, what is the secret of your success? I mean, at 18, he was changing the world with his preaching. Incredible orator. What's the secret of your success? Without hesitation, he replied, the Holy Spirit. 
He later said, without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are ships without the wind, branches without sap, and like coals without fire. We are useless. And he's right. We need the Spirit of God to guide us. We need the Spirit of God to lead us. We need the Spirit of God to empower us. And in our text, we find the key verse is in verse 25, what we just read. Look at verse 25. This is the key verse. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. We're looking at these key principles of life. And today's principle is very simple. We must live and walk by the Holy Spirit daily. That's the principle. We must live and walk by the Holy Spirit daily. So this morning, I want to look at these, this principle and really look at it in two different ways as Paul breaks it down. The first is this idea of we are to live in the Spirit. That's what he says in, in verse 25. We are, we, if we live by the Spirit. Now, what is he talking about? What does he mean, if we live by the Spirit or because we live in the Spirit? What Paul is talking about is how we are saved. He's laying that foundation. You go back and look at Galatians, that's his foundation. We are saved because the Holy Spirit convicted us. We are saved because the Holy Spirit changed us. We cannot be saved apart from the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to the disciples, we're studying the book of John on Sunday nights, and we looked at this passage a few weeks ago, John chapter 16, verse 8. Jesus told the disciples, when he, talking about the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he is going to be the one that will convict us of our sins. He is the one that's going to show us who Jesus is. So Paul is saying, we are saved by the Spirit convicting us, and then we respond to that. We do not save ourselves. We are saved only by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, and when he convicts us of our sins, when he convicts us of who Jesus is and what Jesus did, he opens our hearts and our minds to God, and then we respond. So we are not saved by our own power. Again, Jesus talking to Nicodemus in the book of John, chapter 3, verse 5. He told Nicodemus, except a man be born of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit. So this is what Paul is saying. He's talking to these Christians at Galatia. He said, hey, you're saved by the Spirit. Your salvation is based on the Spirit. Therefore, you are to live in the Spirit. I mean, if you are saved by grace, why are you trying to live by works? Why is it you are saved by the Spirit of God, and then you are saved, you forget about the Spirit of God, and you try to live everything on your own power? That makes no sense. That's what Paul is saying. We live in the Spirit, by the Spirit, because He is the one who brought us to Christ. He is the one who convicted us. And therefore, because we live in the Spirit, the second part, we must walk in the Spirit. In fact, Paul says it twice. He says it in verse 16 and verse 25. Now, let me remind you, there are only two types of people in the world the lost and the saved. That's it. There is no third category. I'm sorry, there's no third category. The Bible says there's lost people and there's saved people. Lost people are those who have never invited Jesus Christ into their life as Savior and Lord. That's lostness. 
Saved people are those who have invited Jesus Christ into their life as Lord and Savior. Lost people, saved people. But there are two types of lost people. They're still lost, but there are two types. The rebellious and the religious. The rebellious lost person, they deny Christ. They have nothing to do with Christ. They don't want to have anything to do with the church. They don't have nothing to do with God at all. They're basically pagans. But the other group are the religious lost people. He said, what do you mean? Remember the story of the prodigal son? The elder son was with his father, but he really wasn't of the father. In fact, he resented the father. He was there, but not part of the family. There are some people, they are, they are good moral people in their minds. They come to church, they read their Bibles, but they are lost because they have never given their life to Jesus Christ. They think they're saved because they think they're good and they do religious things. And so they have this perception, well, because I do religious things, I must be saved. They have accepted religion, but they have denied the gospel. They believe salvation is on them and not grace. They try to do everything in their own power. So, for example, they would say, I obey, and because I obey, God accepts me. Well, the gospel says, I am accepted, therefore I obey. For them, motivation is based on fear. Well, I I need to obey God, because if I don't obey God, he's going to zap me. But for the gospel, motivation is based on joy, because what God has done for us, we want to obey. For them, obeying God is something to get from God. Well, if I obey God in this, then I can ask him for this, and he will give me this. But for the gospel, we obey to get God's delight, and so that we can resemble God. This is the group of people Jesus talks about in the book of Matthew chapter 7. Scariest verse in in the Bible. When Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus said on judgment day, there are going to be people thinking they're saved because they do works. And they're going to say, hey, we, we served in the church. We preached. We did miracles. We, we, we ministered. And Jesus said, yeah, but you didn't know me. You had a religion, but you didn't have a relationship. They're religious lost people. And we need to understand it. So two types of people, lost and saved. There are two types of lost people. But there's also two types of saved people. Those who walk by the flesh and those who walk by the spirit. That's what Paul is saying here. They're giving their life to Christ. They've accepted Christ. They are saved. But there are some, they're going to try to live by their own power. They're walking in the flesh. They give their life to Christ, and then the rest of their life, they try to do everything on their own power. I got to be smart enough to do it. I got to work harder. I, it's all on me. If, it doesn't, if I don't do it, it's not going to get done. And Paul says, these are the people that walk in the flesh. Then there are others who walk in the Spirit. These are the people that, Christians, who realize, I can't do it. I need you, God. In fact, there's nothing I can do apart from God. 
And so Paul is addressing these two groups in chapter 5 of the book of Galatians. He's pleading with us to walk in the Spirit. Now, please understand, the Holy Spirit presence is everywhere. Everywhere. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit came into your life. We call that the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That happens one time, by the way. When you give your life, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. That's called baptism of the Holy Spirit. But even though the Holy Spirit is in your life, you must still allow him control over your life. We call this the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 18. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Now, in the Greek language, that word filled, a little technical stuff, it's called the present tense. All that means is something that goes on forever. Here's the image, beautiful image in the Greek. Imagine you have a vase with a crack in it. You pour water in the vase, and it leaks. And every day, you got to keep pouring water in that vase because it leaks. Okay? Same word he uses to us about being filled with the Holy Spirit. We leak. We leak. If we're not careful, we are not being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is continual every day, every moment. Every morning, you should be praying, Lord, fill me with your Spirit today. This is something that we continue. It's not a one-time event. Pouring water. Also, majors, you understand the difference. Okay, that's active. You have to do it. Spirit with the Spirit. Spirit. Telling me how, how can I? I mean. that allowed to be filled we're just being available to it again the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a one time event the filling of the Holy Spirit is a repeated matter being baptized in the Spirit means him dwelling in us being filled with the Spirit means he empowers us and so every Christian is indwelt by the Holy Spirit but not every Christian is empowered by the Holy Spirit that's what Paul is saying I mean, there are many Christians, they're trying to live the Christian life on their own power, their own abilities, and, and they fail. You, you, you can't do all this that God tells us to do on your own power. I mean, they're saved by grace, and then they try to live by works. And Paul says, if you live by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. Simply abide in Christ. Be actively dependent upon Him for everything. 
moment by moment, trusting God in every area and arena of your life. In fact, it's so important, Paul mentions it twice. Back in verse 16, he starts off by saying, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit is, is what we do when we follow the desires of the Spirit. That's all it means. When you're walking by the Spirit, you're saying, whatever the Holy Spirit wants, I will follow. And he will empower me. Now, please understand. Here's where a lot of people mess up. I, I hear this sometimes. He's not saying walk in the Spirit in order to get spiritual power. That's not what he's saying. He's saying walk in the Spirit because you have spiritual power. You see, we, we keep trying to make this on us. That's impossible. He's not saying, hey, you walk in the Spirit, and you walk in the Spirit, God's going to give you spiritual power. No. He's saying walk in the Spirit, and because you're walking in the Spirit, he, you have the power because he's there. It's really that simple. But for some reason, we don't do it. We need to offer ourselves daily, sometimes hourly, to God. God, I sacrifice my dreams. I sacrifice my preferences. It has nothing to do with what I want. What do you want me to do? And I'll follow you. So, how do we know we're filled with the Spirit? How do we know we're walking in the Spirit? Paul gives us the answer in verse 22 and 23. Paul gives to us the fruit of the Spirit. If you live in the Spirit and you walk in the Spirit, you will manifest the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Notice he calls it fruit, singular, not plural. Plural means you pick and choose. No, Paul says all of these, these nine items, is fruit. One thing, it needs to be manifest in your life. You go back up and when he's talking about the acts of the flesh, it's plural, acts. Why? Because people pick and choose. You have, people have tendencies toward one thing or the other. But Paul says when it comes to the fruit, there's only one fruit. These are nine items. You don't pick and choose. All nine to be manifested in your life. So the acts of the flesh, or we abide by the fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit is victorious in our lives, we see the fruit of the Spirit. When the flesh wins in our lives, we see the evidence of the flesh. Flesh is plural, because we might do some of them, or we might do all of them. But the fruit is singular, because we must do all of them. You cannot pick and choose. So, why is this important? The key to the fruit of the Spirit is the root. The root is God. You see the image? If you've given your life to Christ in the Spirit, you have the root of God in your life, and the root of God will produce the fruit in your life. I'm not saying you've got to produce this on your own. You can't produce this on your own. God will produce it in your life because he is the root. So let's look at this list. Again, it's singular, the list of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, first of all, I want you to notice that they're kind of divided. I mean, the first three, love, joy, and peace, relates to us and God. The second list, patient, kindness, and goodness, they relate to us and other people. And the last three relate to ourselves. All three groups are interconnected. Now, I did a series on this years ago, and we looked at each one per sermon. You can imagine how fast we're going to go right now. Let's look at it. First of all, Paul says love. It begins with love. 
That, that word is God's love. This is agape love. This is the love that God has for us. We are to have that love for other people. Now, the Bible teaches us two things about this kind of love. Number one, love is a choice. Love is a choice. That's what Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 14. Of over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Paul says, put on love. You know what that means? That's a choice. You choose to love. You choose to do this agape love. You choose this agape love in your life, and you choose to, to give it. Whether you love your neighbors or you love your enemies, it makes no difference. You make that choice. Second of all, the Bible says that love is a matter of conduct. It's always a matter of conduct. John writes in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, he says, Let us not love with word or tongue, but with action and in truth. Love without conduct is not love. Anyone can say, I love people. Anyone can say, I love you. But if there's no action behind it, I submit to you that's not really love. The first is love. The second word is joy. Now, this is not happiness. There's a difference in happiness and joy. Happiness comes from an old English word, hap, which means chance. The, the idea of happiness is something by chance happens to you externally, and you have an emotional response to it. The world is looking for happiness. God never says to be happy. He says be joyful. God says be joyful. What's the difference? Happiness is external. Joy is internal. Happiness depends on what happens to you. Joy depends on what happens within you. Happiness depends on chance. Joy depends on choice. Now, you, you can be happy and have joy, but you know, you can not be happy and have joy. You can have joy at a graveside. You can have joy in a hospital room because of something happening within you. We can have joy because of our salvation. We can have joy because we have hope. We can have joy because we have Jesus. We have joy because of heaven. There are so many reasons to have joy. And the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Third is peace. Peace. Now, I know a lot of people that hear the word peace, and they think of absent of conflict. That's not what peace is. Because you, you, can, you can have peace in, in troubles and trials and tribulation. Peace basically means you have the resources to handle the situation. That's what peace is. You have resources to handle the situation. Because of the Holy Spirit in your life, you'll always have the resources to handle whatever comes your way. And so, if you think about peace, it begins with peace with God. That's the upward peace. We have peace with God. Then that leads to peace of God. That's the inward peace. And then we have peace with others. That's external peace. You see, you can't have love with others until you have love of God. You can't have love of yourself until you have love of God. You can't love others until you love yourself. Peace. Third word is patience. This means to be slow to get anger. Angry. It, it means uh, long-suffering. We, we live in an impatient world. If you doubt that, just drive down Lone Oak. Oh, my goodness. Uh, people get upset they miss the revolving door. You know, we were in a hotel, and this man got mad because the revolving door, he missed the revolving, you didn't miss the revolving door. Wait, two seconds. Elevators. Let me give you a little clue. Does it make it go faster? Okay. It's not a video game. It doesn't do anything. 
But we do that because we don't have patience. Fruit of the Spirit means patience. It means we have patience with our problems. We have patience with other people. We have patience with the plan of God because God's plans are not our plans. We've already talked about that during you know, the ground ceremony because you know, 2020, everything changed. You've got to have patience. Next word is the word kindness. Kindness literally means be gracious to others. But, but here's my favorite definition of kindness. It means treating others the way God has treated you. That's kindness. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And notice how Jesus treated people. He was kind. You know, it made no difference who they were, young or old, rich or poor. Made no difference. Friend or enemy. Jesus treated people with kindness. The fruit of the Spirit says, God, Holy Spirit, through us, we can treat people with kindness. Next word is goodness. Kind of a strange word because we, we use it wrong. I remind you that Jesus said in Mark chapter 19, verse 18, he says, no one is good except God. You know why he says that? Because goodness deals with moral and spiritual excellence. None of us are moral and spiritually excellent. Goodness is the ability to be godly in our character. No one is good but God. I mean, that's why it gets very confusing. People say, well, he was a good person. Oh, that's a good person. They should be saved they're a good person. Jesus said, no, goodness is a God characteristic. What it means is holiness. And the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. We have that holy character of God. Next word is the word faithful. Lamentations chapter 3 says, Through the Lord's mercy we are not consumed because his compassion fails not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Faithfulness faithfulness means being trustworthy. That's all it means. It it means when you say something, you're going to do it. Faithfulness means you're consistent wherever you are. You're consistent at your house. You're consistent at the job. You're consistent at the ball field. By the way, if you're a different person in these different places, you've got a problem, okay? Because we are to be consistent. We are to be faithful. It means you're going to be faithful at your job. You're going to work hard while you're working. It means you're going to be faithful in your work, school work. You're going to be faithful. You're going to be consistent in everything you do, how you treat people. That, that's faithfulness. This means that we're faithful, giving 100% every time we're given a task. That's what it means. When you have the Holy Spirit, we can be faithful in who we are. The next word in the New American Standard says gentleness. I like the word meekness. I like that word better. The word means uh, being teachable. That's the word. It has a beautiful word picture. It is the picture of, a, of a, a stallion who's being trained. You know, here's this horse with all this power and might, and you can train the horse. You can ride the horse. It's amazing. That horse, if he didn't want you on your, his back, hey, let me tell you, he can get you off. But he's trainable. This word does not mean being a coward. That's what some people, I don't want to be meek. They think of the old show, you know, Andy Griffith, you know, Barney Fife. No, he's not talking about that. What he's talking about is someone who's trainable. In fact, in the book of Numbers, it says Moses was the meekest man in the world. Moses? That man who led the people out of Egypt, the man who stood before Pharaoh? That man who was trained as a prince, that man who, who, who did everything for God, he's the meekest? Why? 
because he was trainable. He listened to God. God worked in his life. He yielded and was taught by God as an humble servant. You see, when you're meek, you're going to allow the Holy Spirit to work through you and teach you lessons. Now, you may not learn those lessons on your own. In fact, you won't learn those lessons on your own. But the Holy Spirit will help you. The last one is self-control. This word to describe personal discipline over your life. It's the idea of knowing who you are, knowing your limitations. That's what it means. You know, we all want self-control. There are a lot of books out there on self-control. We're learning about how to understand habits to have self-control. But in all honesty, apart from the Holy Spirit, it's hard to have, if not impossible, to have self-control. It's the Holy Spirit who helps us not say what we need to say or want to say. It's the Holy Spirit. Can you control your tongue? Can you control saying things to people? See, words are like arrows. You let them go, they fly. You don't get them back. Sometimes we'll say something to someone and it hurts them, not only for a day, it hurts them for a generation. We say something to our children, we say something to our spouse, we, we say something to our friend, and they would say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, yeah, you apologize, but the damage has been done. And they live with that hurt. And they're wounded. That's why we need self-control. You know, self-control, I can tell you, if you're not self-control, I can tell you the clue to this. Well, that's just me, okay? Let me tell you something. If you ever say those words, you have a problem. You're, you're justifying bad behavior. I mean, through the years, I've been, well, that's just me. No, it's not. No, it's not. Because if the Holy Spirit was in your life, you wouldn't be doing this. If you were living by the Spirit, you wouldn't be saying this. You wouldn't be treating people this way. The Holy Spirit will give you self-control where you will not say those words. You will not treat people that way. That's what he's saying. Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, we need to walk by the Spirit. And if you walk by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit will reveal to the world and to you that you're walking in the Spirit. So how about you this morning? Start out saying there's two types of people, lost and saved. Are you lost this morning? In other words, has there ever been that time you asked Jesus Christ in your life? Has there been that time you asked Jesus in your life about repenting of your sins? Maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're watching online, you've never given your life to Christ. The Bible says you are lost. But you can give your life to Christ today. If you're watching online, you can give your life to Christ today by admitting you're a sinner, saying, God, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. And I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins 2,000 years ago, was buried, and rose from the grave. And I confess, I choose to give you everything. Will you do that this morning? You see, right now, the Holy Spirit is convicting you. Right now, the Holy Spirit is, is working in your life. Will you respond to the Holy Spirit? If you text the word today, at 270-398-5005, and a minister will give you a call. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Christ, will you do so today? Same thing, saying, I admit, I believe, I confess. In a few moments, we'll begin singing, and uh, ministers will be at the front. Just come to the front, talk to me or one of the ministers, saying, I need to give my life to Christ. I've been trying to live a good life. I can't save myself. I need God. I need Jesus. But for those of us who are believers question you need to ask 
Do you live and walk? Do you walk by the Spirit or do you walk by the flesh? Are you trying to do things on your own power? Are you trying to allow God to work through you? Will you make that decision today? Lord, I want to walk by the Spirit. Fill me with your Spirit daily. You standing by your heads. Father in heaven, there's so many Christians who think they can do this on their own power. They'll be disciplined enough to read the Bible, disciplined enough to love one another. They try to have patience on their own power. They try to love people by their own power. And Father, they get exhausted and they fail. And then they begin to wonder, is Christianity true? Father, remind them today that Christianity is true because you've told us we're to walk by the Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to walk in our lives and use us, guide us, strengthen us, show us what we need to do. Father, even our very breaths come from you. So, Father, today, let us walk by the Spirit. But, Father, today, you're convicting people of their sins. You're convicting people that they need to give their life to you. And Father, I know right now Satan has given them every reason not to. Right now Satan is saying, well, just wait till next week or you're not good enough or your family won't understand. Father, let them hear your voice alone. Let them respond to that voice saying, come to me and I'll give you rest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.